Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me as always is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. I'm a little tired from a long holiday weekend, but I'm here. Yeah, doing a show at the same time every week is always tough on a holiday because, you know, we do certain things throughout the week and you like lose a day to a holiday. Yeah. Like, oh, man, we got to put this whole show together. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But we were successful. We did it. Uh, we have a guest this week, Chad All, who is soon to be elected as a state representative in Lexington. He does not have a Republican opponent. Um, and this is a district that's kind of in the middle of, of Lexington, formerly represented mostly by, by Susan Western, but it's kind of a, a, a district that was amalgamated from four existing districts. We talked to him a little bit about that. Chad has been greatly experienced in government work. He has held several positions inside of the executive branch. So we talked to him about that, how his experience working in the first Steve Bashir governorship really kind of helped him and 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 will guide his legislative career so we talked to him about that and in addition you know what what he sees as the future of the democratic party so so we talked to him great conversation i've known chad for a long time and it was great to catch up but jasmine you you didn't know him before this what did you Mm -hmm. think about chad i thought it was a really great interview and i said this on the show a few weeks ago i think everyone just keeps telling me how much they love chad all so I really liked him too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, I was I was very glad to have that conversation. Very excited to talk to him. Now we talked to Lamine Swan last week. We talked to Chad this week, and we're gonna wrap up Lexington, all of the Lexington folks next week when we interview uh, Lindsey Burke. So so we'll be we're sweeping through Lexington, and I actually think we're gonna be heading to Western Kentucky after a little interlude after that. So so just a little preview about what's to come there. But on the show this week, the first thing we're gonna do is to talk a little bit about Savannah Maddox. So we talked about Ryan Quarles. We talked about. Daniel Cameron. Savannah Maddox is about to reveal her campaign for governor. We're going to talk about her, who she is, where she's coming from, what she stands for, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and if you're a person who follows Kentucky government closely, which you probably are if you're listening to this show, you know, it's going to get wild. Uh, and we're going to follow that up by talking about some of the Liberty candidates in Boone County. It'll fit in really nicely with, with uh, our Savannah Maddox segment. So we're going to talk about some of the folks who are some of her best buddies in Frankfurt. So without any further ado, Let's talk about Savannah Maddox. Jasmine, you excited to talk about Savannah Maddox? <laughs> I mean, this is really like a, aside from our interview with Chad All, this is like a Liberty Candidate episode. Yeah, it kind of really. is. And and that's appropriate because that is a wing of the Republican Party and an ideology that is yeah. on the upswing in Frankfurt. So... It's been widely reported that Savannah Maddox, who is a Liberty representative from Grant County, is going to announce a run for governor in the coming days. So just like Ryan Quarles and Daniel Cameron, getting to know Representative Maddox a little bit more is a smart idea. All three of those candidates are young and high profile and are likely to be major players in Kentucky government and politics for years and perhaps decades to come. So first of all, Maddox was born in 1987, right between the two of us, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize... She was that young. Yeah, she is. She is younger than me, just a year or two older than you. And she is from Grant County, a small rural county just south of Boone and Kenton counties. She's married. She's got two kids. Um, And really the main source of information I can find about Savannah Maddox's time prior to joining the legislature is a 2020 profile in the Herald-Leader where Jack Brammer interviewed her. So we learned in that piece that she served as the Grant County Chair of Rand Paul's re-election campaign back in 2016 and then went on to serve as the Grant County Republican Party Chair, which is a seat her husband currently holds. She once gave a quote to the Courier-Journal saying that the National GOP should repeal the Affordable Care Act even if they didn't have a replacement, which that was a very big point of conflict in the republican party i think around like 2017 like the repeal and replace uh argument Mm -hmm. um which which they were never able to really come up with and you know a bunch of people did not want to repeal if they did not have a replacement and that is a hard that was a hard thing for them to do but savannah maddox was on the more conservative side of that as will be uh repeated throughout her career So back in 2017, Jasmine, we talked about this at length when it was going on. There was a significant sexual abuse and sexual assault scandal in Frankfurt, which resulted in several representatives losing their committee assignments and eventually their their House seats. One of those House members was Brian Linder, who was a state representative in District 61. That included Grant County. So after he, you know, announced he was not going to run for re-election in the wake of that scandal, Savannah Maddox entered the race. 
She took on Michael Fletcher, who is a well-known addiction medication physician in Kenton County. So her district is Grant County and part of Kenton County. And this guy that she actually ran against was recently, as in like 2021 or 2022, he was recently indicted on charges of writing prescriptions for oxycodone inappropriately. So that's that's interesting. Um, she ended up beating him with about 63% of the vote in the primary election. And then she went on to beat Daryl Link, who was the former Grant County judge executive with 67% of the vote. So it's a very Republican district, which isn't surprising because it has Savannah Maddox as the state representative. During her first few years in the legislature, Representative Maddox made a bit of news for being a fierce and unapologetic culture warrior for right-wing causes. She was a chief sponsor of the bill to allow unlicensed concealed carry of firearms, and she spoke against red flag laws during a year when many Republican states were actually considering gun reforms. You know, that's weird to think about, and, and I, you know, it was in the wake of some shooting, and the fact is, when you live in America, you never remember which shooting it's in the wake of, because they just, these mass shootings are happening more and more often, as, you know, we've had two in recent days. So, you know, she was, but she is a huge opponent of any gun reform at all. She's a very strident, anybody should have any gun they want at any point, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, okay, so she's, she is like, like that. And then also as far back as 2020, two years ago, she was sponsoring legislation, making it illegal for physicians to prescribe medications or perform surgeries for trans kids. That is of course an issue that got high profile, uh, attention during the 2022 session across the country, you know, and as something that had passed and, you know, I think a lot of national media was really paying attention to it, but Savannah Maddox was pushing for these anti-trans bills all the way back in 2020. So two years before it was really getting major media attention. So at this point, you know, I think that close watchers of the legislature knew that she was among the most right-wing representatives in the House. But it really wasn't until 2020 that Savannah Maddox emerged as one of the most well-known members of the Kentucky House of Representatives. I kind of consider her the chief critic of Governor Bashir's COVID-19 policies. And, um, you know, she often expressed her stance in a way that I would consider deeply inappropriate and potentially dangerous. So before we jump into what she was going on, what, what, what kind of happened, the details of what happened in 2020, 2020 Jasmine, I'm, I'm interested in, in kind of your memories going into 2020, going into like COVID and shutdowns, what you thought about Savannah Maddox and kind of oh, we'll get into how that changed over time. So before 2020, what did, what did you think about her? We really didn't talk a lot about her except to talk about like some of the more fringe bills that she filed that often didn't really go anywhere. But then I think what I remember when we started talking about her more is she was kind of at the head of the Capitol rallies in the early pandemic days when churches were closed and schools were closed. She was the one giving speeches like on the Capitol steps, taking photos with um, like armed militia Ralliers and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll talk very specifically about that in just a second. But I, I mean, I think the way that these legislative sessions usually go is, of course, like all the action happens at the end is when they're actually passing legislation. So at the beginning, everybody's kind of reading all these bills that are filed, and you just kind of point out like the the, the most right wing or the most left wing, I guess, if you're a conservative. Like here's the craziest stuff that's going on in the legislature, mm-hmm. and like all of it was Savannah Maddox as somebody who's willing to just go out on the furthest limb possible now at the time you know in 2019 2018 or so you know looking at these bills is like well they don't really matter this lady's not going anywhere she's not doing anything uh but i think this story is good evidence that like it is worth paying attention to that legislation even if it doesn't stand a chance to pass because you just never know who is like what's going to catch fire who's going to be uh the next star of this of a, a powerful wing of the legislature so you're right, though, Jasmine, 2020, and especially at, like in, in the COVID response is where I think we really started talking about Savannah Maddox a lot. So she was a speaker and organizer of several rallies, which, you know, began in late April and, and went on into early of May in 2020. So those were like really the first demonstrations opposing COVID restrictions. It's kind of hard to remember now. But, you know, this whole thing kind of kicked off in late February when we saw our first couple of cases in Kentucky. And then kind of during March, when things started to shut down, um, most people were were behind it. Like even very conservative people were like, well, 
you know, this seems like the smart thing to do. We all got to come together. And it, for a moment, that seemed to actually yeah. be happening. It was like, hey, you know, okay, this is great. We're facing a real challenge, but this is a real moment of for- togetherness. And, you know, at least me, I kind of felt like it was it was tenuous, uh, that that couldn't last. Uh, and, and, of course, that was the case. And it was really Savannah Maddox and her group of people who were the first people to break out of that and to start really criticizing the governor and the government for, for having these restrictions in place. At one of the rallies, Savannah Maddox posed for a picture with a person who flashed a white supremacy symbol. And, uh, you know, that picture got out. And former GOP House Speaker Jeff Hoover got into a Twitter fight with Representative Maddox, where she eventually denied knowing what the symbol meant. Uh, and she then kind of like apologized and said she she wasn't into white supremacy, but you know insinuated that Jeff Hoover was a racist for even just knowing what the hand symbol meant. That was a weird moment. I remember that. And then oh, later, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Later on in 2020, May May of 2020, Savannah Maddox spoke at a rally about the Second Amendment and COVID restrictions, which eventually ended up with members of the three percenters which is like a weird militia group who's pretty dangerous they hung andy bashir in effigy with the john wilkes booth quote attached and of course john wilkes booth assassinated a political leader this was very scary very dangerous i remember talking about this at length i remember andy bashir talking about this at length uh you know speaking about being unafraid but how this is really egregious and dangerous um, yeah, and Andy Bashir was was still giving daily press conferences, and, not, and in addition to criticizing the people who actually performed the act, he he had some words for for Savannah Maddox fairly directly, saying you know that she added fuel to this fire, and as an elected official, that was very inappropriate. Yeah, this was this was a pretty tenuous and scary moment, and Savannah Maddox was right there in the middle of it. Um, what are your memories of that time, Jasmine? Um, I think you summed it up pretty well. She was seemed to be a friend to these groups of people that hung the governor in effigy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and did kind of dangerous things. Yeah. So during the 2021 to 2022 sessions, Savannah Maddox sponsored legislation which would have stripped Andy Bashir of a lot of his power around executive orders and legislation that would have prevented lots of types of vaccine mandates. Not much if any of her own legislation has gone anywhere in the past two sessions, even while, you know, there's been a lot of legislation that has stripped Andy Bashir of a lot of executive authority, um, just none of hers. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. Her party does not like her bills that often. Um, you know, uh, that, that's some, just something to take note of. Savannah Maddox was a, a bit of a singular figure during the 2019 to 2020 sessions, her first, uh, you know, term in office. But after the 2020 elections, I, I would say like Felicia Rayburn in the house and Adrian Southworth in the Senate kind of joined as kindred spirits. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, anytime you look at a vote on a bill, Felicia Rayburn and Savannah Maddox are nearly always together. Yeah, and they often go against like the majority of of their party. Um, not yeah. not every time, and not even the majority of times, but uh, you know more than just about any uh, anybody else, they will vote no on a bill where uh, mm-hmm. you know ninety eight people vote right like a 98 to 2 vote or yeah absolutely i mean in the same kind of way that like there are a couple of like left-wing democrats who will vote no when everybody else is voting yes um they're the ones on the other side and they often move together yeah and adrian southworth of course is not in the same chamber but she you know is is very much in the same kind of like liberty space she uh you know they all have like different issues that they're like the most radical on and adrian southworth is uh, i think probably the biggest person buying into the big lie the yeah hers is definitely election fraud and then she's she's sponsored a lot of like health health related bills that are strange too yeah yeah. and 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 savannah maddox is really her thing is like the second amendment guns she's a big big guns Mm -hmm. person which is really scary and i mean like liberty for corporations too also Mm -hmm. seems to be yeah like vaccine mandates and stuff like that especially around covid and and that kind of thing yeah um you know the primaries this year have really set up for several other savannah maddox type republicans to win you know win seats they have big opportunities to to increase their numbers of liberty republicans and that's actually what jasmine's going to be talking about after this so savannah maddox truly i think i think that this is this is the thing that i really take away savannah maddox was a pioneer for her ideology she was the first person in the state house that really represented this way of thinking i mean you can go back a little bit and say Rand paul was maybe the first person to really do this in kentucky thomas massey took it to the next level but those are federally elected positions they're not in kentucky that often they're out in they're 
They're out in D.C. And honestly, they don't make that much news in Kentucky. They prefer national media to state media. Savannah Maddox in Kentucky is really the person who led the charge and was the first person to take all these stances in Frankfurt. So, yeah, yeah. And this and this ideology is also absolutely on the upswing. So Savannah Maddox's allies have successfully organized in several counties across the state while winning contested primaries against more traditional Republicans. Meanwhile, traditional Republicans are running a few candidates for governor, including several with really high profiles, that being Ryan Quarles and and Daniel Cameron. So, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week on the podcast, but her chance to win the gubernatorial nomination on the Republican side definitely cannot be just dismissed. You have to take her seriously as a candidate, even though she is a very fringe character, even among Republicans. And honestly, I think it's not totally outside of the realm of possibility to consider her the favorite to win just because of the fractured nature of the traditional Republican wing and the focused nature of the Liberty wing, where they're going to be all in for Savannah Maddox. I really believe that to be the case. Um, So, uh, you know, what what do you think, Jasmine? What do you think about her chances? We talked a little bit about this last week. Anything to add to that? I kind of agree with you. I think she could be the front runner, as weird as that is to say. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I, one thing that will kind of be interesting to see is if all of the candidates make it to Election Day on the ballot. Um, I think the traditional Republicans do. <laughs> they they react to, to leaders more more well, better, I guess, better than, than Liberty Republicans. And once they kind of see that Savannah Maddox has a big chance, there's a chance that they may coalesce around a single person. We'll see. Mm-hmm. If she does manage to win the primary, I think it's highly likely that Democrats paint her as Matt Bevin only worse in the general election. And and I think that's probably the right take. Um, she presents probably the best opportunity to, for Andy Bashir to like run against a Matt Bevin type, which a lot of people said was key to his victory in 2019. But at the end of the day, one of the really weird things about Savannah Maddox is that she's this like extremely white right wing politician. She pals around with these very dangerous people. She's been photographed with people who are using white supremacy hand signals and, you know, like people who like guns and threaten to kill the governor. So these are the people that she's around. Uh, and, and, you know, that's really scary. I also was like doing research for this this piece and I found a picture of her and Thomas Massey and a, with this guy with a the, like a CSA or like Confederate States of America belt buckle. I'd never seen that before. And on its own, that would have been a big thing back in, you know, like 2009 or something like that. That would have been a campaign issue, uh, even in the Republican primary. But I just don't don't think it is now because where the Republican Party is. But at the same time, she actually also kind of comes off as extremely normal. I, you know, I was doing research for this, and I, I found this, like, very normal video of her, like, playing guitar with their children. Like, her daughter playing guitar, like, electric guitar, and her playing guitar. They're both, like, really out of tune, and they're trying to sing, which is, like, normal stuff that people do on Facebook. And, you know, she comes off as this, like, sort of normal person, except for she has these, like, extremely fringy people that she's palling around with. So it is just kind of a strange... She, she she casts this very strange shadow, a strange, strange character, and it'll be very interesting to see how that plays in, in an election, especially statewide. Yeah. So I'm I'm deeply interested to see what, what happens. I'm I'm afraid of her. I, I gotta say, uh I, I Yeah, I don't I don't know if like the reason I say that I think she's the front runner is because like that is an objective prediction I have or if it's like the fear that I have that she is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's totally fair. It's like I can't believe this. And and I mean she's she would be a really dangerous person to have be in charge of the state. I, I mean that's just at the end of the day, the people that she's around and the people that she represents and the people that she talks to and, and speaks to most personably are the most dangerous and the most fringy elements of the political structure here in Kentucky. They are gaining in power. The traditional Republican wing is is not able to keep up with their organization, and and yeah, if she if she's able to pull off a, a you know a win this time, it would be really scary. But the thing that is also really scary is the amount of momentum that their wing seems to have that seems to be snowballing towards them having more and more power over the Republican Party in the future. So. Hey, uh, traditional Republicans, there's there's space on the Democratic side for you. So, you know, you come on over, uh, come on <laughs> over. We can we can oppose Savannah Maddox and her, her group uh, if you want to. Um, you know, you, you have more in common with us than them anyway. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at. Um, all right, Jasmine. But, you know, Savannah Maddox is not the only liberty person in Frankfurt. There's lots more uh, that are likely to be added. 
Um, so tell us about these Liberty candidates in Boone County. Uh, we, 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 of course, have, have mentioned that they all won, but we wanted to learn a, bit, a little bit more about them. So tell, me what we, tell us what we need to know about these folks. All right. So the first one is Marianne Proctor. She defeated Sal Santoro. And I think this was probably the most surprising defeat in Northern Kentucky. Um, Sal Santoro had been in the House since 2007 and chaired the Transportation Committee. And he had over $120,000 to work with in that campaign, much of it coming from road contractors. But Marianne Proctor is a realtor and a former speech pathologist. She's also a marathon runner. And she's focused on, in her primary, she really focused on being a political outsider, priding herself on being a non-politician, and also really focused on opposing taxation. She said her family is strongly pro-life, pro-family, and pro-First and Second Amendment. Her website says that we must stop the madness of big government. We, the people, must be heard in Frankfurt, and that starts here in Boone County. And kind of what I saw from this race was that Marion Proctor supporters were calling Santoro um, gas tax Sal. And so they were really attacking him over his support of the gas tax. I, I like that nickname. I think I think it's kind of snappy. <laughs> Santoro had also been a no vote on medical marijuana and Marianne Proctor supports it. Um, So there's that. A GOP super PAC spent some money on digital ads supporting Santoro really late in the campaign, defending him against big liars. That's what the ad said. (laughs) Um, But he still ended up losing in a really close race by 131 votes. Marianne Proctor does not have an opponent. So, she will be in Frankfurt. And so I think we will have another, you know, member of the Liberty Wing there. Um, but she does support medical marijuana. And so maybe, you know, there's one no vote that that's flipped to a yes. That That is kind of true of like all these kind of fringy elements of both parties. Like the, the furthest out is like sometimes they have like strange views that run counter to their, you know, the center of their party um, that put them. Yeah, I. I mean, like, Rand Paul has always been that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they call it the horseshoe. Like, there's, you know, mm-hmm. anyways, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how this kind of goes. <laughs> yeah, so that's Marianne Proctor. The next one is Steve Doan. So Steve Doan defeated Adam Koenig. He's an attorney, and he's also an Erlanger city councilman. He worked under Bevin as general counsel in the Office of Agricultural Policy, and now he has his own law practice. This race featured some really negative campaign mailers. Um, One of them looked like an online dating website with Adam Koenig's name really big with the slogan, Life is Short, Have an Affair. And it referenced Koenig's use of his legislative email address to have an Ashley Madison account and allegedly like hook up with a married person um, from that website. And so it attacked him for not having family values. Don't also release video ads calling him liberal Adam Koenig, um, attacking him for filing an amendment to the trans sports bill that would exclude college sports, um, saying that he supported men playing college women's sports and calling him liberal Adam Koenig, and that the Republican Party has to be protected from someone who aligns himself with radical leftists, basically. (laughs) So... That's what that race looked like. Um, Steve Doan does have an opponent, though, Chris Brown in the general. I'm sure that we will have Chris Brown come on our show. Um, So, uh, you know, I I do think that's going to be a tough race um, because it includes Boone County. Yep. Uh, Yeah. I mean, the way that they split this up. Yeah. I mean, all three of these races are kind of like. 
wow, you know, you guys, you split this up to give yourselves more votes in some of these seats uh, and to kind of break up Buddy Wheatley's district to make it more hard, difficult for him to win. Um, but you really kind of screwed yourselves because, you know, Buddy may get beat. That's true. Um, but you're ended up going to lose three of your own traditional Republicans in the process and have them replaced by fringe uh, liberty candidates. So just the first the first problem that Republicans are going to face with redistricting. Well, I guess they would still rather have Republicans than would they? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. Like if you yeah. if you're like, I hey. mean, they're definitely a, a caucus divided. Yeah, I, I think I think keeping three of their committee chairs uh, and keeping Buddy Wheatley as the 25th Democrat is probably more valuable to to the Republican Party than having three of savannah maddox's uh and buddy wheatley in the legislature so i or, and you know somebody else is going to replace buddy wheatley so you know i don't know and and buddy could still win I, I i don't think that that's at all outside the realm of possibility i think you know he's probably um got he's got a really good chance probably better than half so we'll, we'll see so the next one is steve rawlings he defeated ed massey uh, St- Steve Rawlings bills himself as a pro-life candidate and constitutional conservative, much like the others that we're talking about. Um, he homeschooled his children, and so he really had big support from the parents' rights and school choice crowd. In this race, there were critical ads against Massey from Commonwealth Educational Opportunities Pack for his lack of support for two of the school choice bills and Massey didn't support impeaching Bashir over his COVID protocols. And so they attacked him for that as well. Rawlings is from Burlington. He's a businessman, author, and attorney, according to his website. And he faces Tim Montgomery, who is, I believe, a teamster in the general. The last one is a an open Senate primary. So Jex known as Jay Williams, won an open primary in a new Senate district, the 20th district, which includes a lot of counties. So it's Franklin, Owen, Carroll, Gallatin, and part of Boone in Kenton County. Jay Williams has actually been in Frankfurt before. He was elected in 93 in a special election to fill the unexpired term of Senator Richard Roding. And then he won re-election in 94, and then he ran for Congress in the 4th Congressional District, which is now held by Thomas Massey. Um, He ran in 1998 and lost in the general to Ken Lucas. A Democrat representing Northern Kentucky in the U.S. Congress. Crazy to think about these days. I know. Williams attempted to make a comeback to the state legislature in 2006, um, but he lost to Representative Sal Santoro in the Republican primary for the 60th House district seat. Um, so Jay Williams has campaign advisors from the Glenn Youngkin campaign in Virginia. His communications director is actually a Boone County native, but he worked on the Glenn Youngkin campaign and also worked on Trump's 2020 campaign as well. Williams has the support of Thomas Massey and he's appeared in a campaign video with him, giving his endorsement and he's also appeared at fundraisers with him. Um, so I think that's how he was really able to get his name out there. Phyllis Sparks was the second place finisher. And from what I saw, she got labeled the rhino in that race, the Republican in name only. Um, and, and they attacked her for not being a true conservative. Williams faces a former Franklin County judge executive, Teresa Asbill Barton and the general. Um, so that is the new 20th district Senate race. Yeah, it's going to be really tough for Democrats to win in Boone County in these House races, uh, except for that uh, some of them do include some Kenton County area. Um, you know, Democrats really are going to have to learn to organize in Boone County. That's something that yeah. I really hope we learn to do. I'm trying to help uh, get us to do that. But but the the Senate seat includes some Democratic areas. Like It's got Franklin County, which is, of course, like it's a county that voted for Hillary Clinton. You know, it was it went big for, for Andy Bashir. Um, so, you know, given that Jay Williams is, is pretty right wing, he's a big Thomas Massey kind of guy. Um, the Democratic area in this could come out pretty strongly for the Democratic candidate. So we'll, we'll kind of see that that'll be, you know, probably one of the more competitive Senate races uh, in, in Frankfurt this year. Um, 
But yeah, Jasmine, I have a question for you. Uh, what do you think is a better term, rhino or dino? Um, they're both pretty good. I think dino is better because rhino, you have to take out the H. That's true. And like the, the real word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no the Republican H. What's it? I don't know what we could use for H. But anyways, like D- Dino also makes me think of like the pet dinosaur from the Flintstones. You know, D- but that's a Dino. So Dino. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, well, Jasmine, you did have one quick hit before we uh, get out of here. Yeah. So this actually happened right before we recorded last week. So we weren't able to get to it. But Robert Goforth pled guilty to federal money laundering and fraud charges last week. So Goforth's hometown pharmacy in Clay County billed insurance companies over $2.7 million in access for prescriptions that were never picked up, which would then be sold later. He could face up to 10 years in prison on those charges, and he still has those state domestic violence charges pending. So... Uh, he's he's in pretty deep, and I didn't even know that he was being federally investigated, I don't think. Yeah, um, that is a pretty significant fall from grace for this guy who was just, you know, 17,000 people changing their votes away from... Yeah, know, won, won several counties in his gubernatorial primary. Yeah, yeah, and, and likely, like, you know... I don't know. He he might have beaten Andy Bashir if uh, because he's not Matt Bevan if he'd have gotten the nomination, but uh, he yeah. obviously didn't. So, yeah, crazy stuff. Uh, yeah, he's clearly not the best guy, but you know, hope you know, hope, hopefully he gets stuff straightened out there. Uh, but yeah, uh, a lot of liberty <laughs> stuff going on this week on the show. Uh, that's yeah. enough of that though. So let's get to our interview with Chad All. Chad All is the Democratic candidate from District 79 in Lexington. He's originally from Western Kentucky and has worked in government in several roles, including as the Deputy Chief of Staff for Treasurer Jonathan Miller in the mid-2000s, Director of Constituent Services for Governor Steve Bashir, and Special Assistant to Lieutenant Governor Jerry Abramson. The 79th district stretches from the heart of downtown Lexington at Maxwell and High Street down to New Circle and Nicholasville, and then east to Manowar and Todd's Road. Mr. All is headed to Frankfurt as he does not face a Republican challenger this year. So, Chad All, welcome to my old Kentucky podcast. Thank you, Jasmine. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk to your listeners. Yeah, we're excited. We're always excited to talk to people who don't have opponents that we always wonder if that makes them like more honest or, or you know, just, you know, <laughs> less to fear or something. But uh, yeah, we're, we're excited to have you. So well, oh, we're always uh, honest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, who, who would ever think that somebody running for office would, would be would be That's right. dodgy with the truth. Right. Yeah. So so, you know, we've named some of the big jobs you've held in state government over the years. Um, and, and really, since you, you know, started working in the public sector and, you know, you left for a while and you're working in the private sector now, <laughs> things have really changed. Uh, yeah. yeah, and and Democrats really hold very little power in the legislature, uh, which was not the case, you know, when you were working in the government prior. So, so tell us a little bit about why now is the time you've chosen to get back into the public sector. Why you're running for office right now? This past January, Robert, I, I turned forty, and my wife thinks I'm having a midlife crisis. <laughs> no, all, all kidding aside, you know, when I when I left Frankfurt, when I was involved with the governor's administration, Governor Steve Bashir, I call it Bashir One, Bashir Two. When I was involved in Bashir One's administration, you know, the Democrats controlled the House. Our numbers in the state Senate were much more uh, equal. Not we we didn't control the Senate, but we were further up in the total numbers. And then we had more constitutional offices. So, you know, Democrats just had a bigger footprint in Frankfurt altogether. You know, when the when the opportunity first arose to run for this seat, I'll be honest with you, and I've told everybody that's asked me this, I paused. And I and I, I thought about it for a long time before I decided definitively to go ahead and and make the campaign and do this. And I, and I paused because I think that Frankfurt unfortunately has followed much of the the recent um, trends of Washington and become much more hyper-partisan, mean, and, uh, you know, it's harder to get things done. And and I, and I didn't want to go to Frankfurt just to fight the other side and say no and yell and hit my head against the wall and not get anything done. That That's not what I wanted to do. And so for those reasons, because of how difficult it is, quite frankly, to be a Democrat in, in Frankfurt in the legislature right now, I, I, I consider not doing it. 
Uh, and, and my wife, as she normally did, uh, pointed out some things that, um, you know, I, I was thinking incorrectly and prioritizing the reason why I was was considering not running. And at the end of the day, bottom line, we still need great people in public service. If all the good people in the Commonwealth turn away from public service, throw their hands up and just give up, it's going to get worse. Now, we can joke about the bad pieces of legislation that passed through Frankfurt, but it can get worse. And if we all just lay down and give up and don't fight back, it will get worse. And so we still need good people to aspire to public service. We need good people in the fight. And I still think we can make differences, whether they're on the margins or, or big time differences, working across the aisle with our colleagues to try to find common ground to make progress for everyone in Kentucky. So that that's while I got past my, oh, I wish it was all Democrats still, it's just not. It's still worth fighting to make progress overall for our citizens. I really think that's a great answer. Like that's uh, that's exactly what you want to hear, hear from that, uh, you know, <clears throat> a realistic uh, outlook about what you're going to be able to get get done, but also you know understanding that uh, you know it's important to have people up there that are that are able to do good work. So you know, but you do have extensive experience in the executive branch of our government, and you know, of course, you're now running to be a part of the legislative branch, um, which you know there's a lot of similarities there, but there's also some significant differences. So tell us a little bit about how you anticipate your experience, you know, working in the executive branch to to inform or benefit you as a legislator. Well, I think there's a, there's a lot of crossover there. You know, when I worked in the governor's office, my main job wasn't working with the legislature or the legislative process, but inevitably when you worked in the cabinets, and I did work for the, in the cabinet for health and family services uh, towards the end of the administration for a little bit on the Connect project, you know, there's a lot of legislative responsibilities that come with working in the cabinets to get their legislative priorities through, even though they're coming from the executive branch. So there is a lot of crossover uh, on top of the physical uh, being just, you know, I walk in and I know where the rooms are. I know the differences between the annex and how they're connected and all the hallways and where they were. Now, a lot of those people have been moved out and around, especially in the annex in the last 10 years as the legislature itself has expanded both physically and from a power standpoint and what the committees they have in the legislative rooms. Um, but the other interesting piece, speaking specifically to the legislative branch, is I actually know a lot of these legislators, especially in the House, for some unique, odd circumstance of life. There are several of my Republican soon-to-be colleagues that I knew before politics, um, well before politics. I was very active in the agricultural community here in Kentucky. I was a state FFA officer. I got my degree in agricultural education at Western. There's one member of the house that's a fraternity brother of mine on the other side. There's a couple of members uh, uh, of the Republican uh, leadership who were state FFA officers that I knew before I was in public service. And so I think those historical relationships will give me a leg up. I've already had some conversations with those folks and they're willing to talk to me. And I think for any Democrat who wants to serve in Frankfurt, whether it's in the legislature or at a statewide level, we have to work with the other side of the aisle because right now they're the predominant party in Frankfurt. And we have to get those individuals to look at us not as their enemy, but as their their colleague. And if I can leverage those historical relationships with those key members who know me on a personal level to say, well, I know Chad, I knew him 20 years ago before we were in elected office. Maybe, just maybe they'll listen to me. And they'll consider my positions, even if they don't agree to them, to move them a little bit on a piece of legislation or maybe a non-controversial piece of legislation that I can try to help shepherd through some of those processes. It's really all about relationships in every facet of life. Uh, and, and it's really good that you are walking into the, the you know, the Capitol building with a bunch of those in your pocket already. So that's that's good to hear. Um, yeah, but you know, since you left the the government, um, you've been working in the private sector, and, and you've been working. I, I saw on your website you've been working in the in the healthcare sector as on uh, my, my favorite term, which is revenue cycle management. Which that uh, makes it always sound like like it's the water cycle or something. <laughs> revenue cycle is the funniest word. But anyways, you know, you've been doing that, and and I'm interested if um, working in healthcare or just working in the private sector, if, if the, your experience there will benefit you as a legislator at all. I, I think it, it, it will, and it will be interesting to see what committees that I am uh, assigned to. I do have a unique 
uh, perspective, having come from uh, having worked in the IT sector as well, you know, I'm in the healthcare IT sector. And so understanding how healthcare is impacted by IT and how they work in conjunction with each other and how that entire process works in the revenue cycle space with insurances, payers and bills and how that how that is processed. There was a piece of legislation that uh, came to uh, con- to the legislature this last year that actually passed that was around um uh, critical information. So there's there's a, a federal bill that basically says if there is information about your health that you are to access that information electronically and immediately that is uh, for your benefit. Well, there was some unintended consequences or circumstances where somebody might unfortunately be diagnosed with a very serious cancer diagnosis or you throw in another diagnosis and they were actually getting that notification real time immediately electronically when it went into the health medical record before the physician had an opportunity to call the patient and say, okay, here's your diagnosis, but here are your options and your next steps and have that, you know, really impactful conversation that provides hope and understanding to that patient before they're just hit with the, you know, bad news. Here's what's going on. And so having that background and understanding how that automation works in the IT sector and how that is impacted and how that legislation intersects with people's day-to-day lives, I think will be a benefit if I can wind up on the healthcare committee or working in that space uh, with other pieces of legislation. Yeah. It sounds like you bring like a pretty wide range of experience with healthcare, IT, also some agricultural experience. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you bring a lot of experience to Frankfurt, but we do want to talk about your district a little bit. So Lexington's dif- districts shifted around quite a bit in January when the Republicans passed their redistricting plan. The 79th is made up of part of the old 75th, 76th, 79th, and the 88th. So tell us about the 79th district, the new one, and how you're learning about your district and your campaign. Yeah, I think uh, I kind of describe it as an upside down funnel with the narrow end being just north of the University of Kentucky. We talked about uh, Maxwell and High. My daughter went to uh, Maxwell Elementary, so it's right there. That's the northern end of the district. And it just kind of gets wider as you go south. And for the most part, it goes uh, in between uh, Nicholasville Road on the uh, west, all the way over to Richmond Road on the east, and kind of funnels down until you get to New Circle. Now, I have uh, so a little bit of outliers where I have just a couple of precincts on the other side or to the east uh, of that on uh, Richmond Road, but for the most part, it's inside Richmond Road, New Cir- uh, Nicholasville Road, south is um, New Circle up to uh, Maxwell and High, and gets close. Uh, thinner as you get to the University of Kentucky. My district, that district, the, the 79th district, the new 79th district is a, is a very well-educated district. I actually polled in the primary and two-thirds, at least, of the, of the primary expected Democratic electorate has an advanced degree. So UK has a very big footprint in this district, not only from an employment perspective, both the, the university and the hospital, but also in a producing graduates perspectives. You know, you can ask anybody who's ran for office that's ever done any polling. You might be lucky to get a third of your district to have a degree. Two thirds of my district has an advanced degree of this district has an advanced degree. So it's a very well-educated, uh, very um, informed district that uh, I would be representing in January. That's really incredible. That's got to be one of the most yeah. highly educated districts in like the whole country. If it's two thirds of the people have evidence, yeah, at least of the Democratic primary electorate that I ah, hold. There you go. Okay, that makes sense. And, and you mentioned polling, and I'm not surprised that you did some polling because you raised so much money. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was truly incredible. You know, that was a, a significant number of the stories we did during the primary. And you know, it was like mayor of Louisville, several candidates for that, which is you know a citywide election in a city of like 750 thousand people, and then Chad All, who's running for state representative in the 79th <laughs> district so so you know you were able to raise a huge amount of money uh and, and i think that you know a lot of people criticize you for that but i think it reveals you as a very capable politician and, and that that 
was demonstrated when you had a contested primary where you won almost 90% of the vote, uh, which, which is incredible. So for a long time, you know, you worked you worked really hard. And and I think, you know, I remember back in the day uh, that you were kind of in the shadow of, of bigger names who, who were, uh, you know, their name was on the yard sign or their name was on the ballot. Uh, and, and now that's you. You're the man on the ballot and you're the man raising money for yourself. Um, tell us how that feels and, and how you went about um, setting yourself up for some success during your primary campaign. Yeah, I, I think. Thank, thank you for that. I, I, I would say that, number one, you've got to surround yourself with a great team. And no individual, how, however great or good they may be at campaigning or calling people and asking them for money, um, a complete campaign starts and ends with building a great team. And, and we were able to do that. You know, I had several folks, paid and unpaid, volunteered, that spent a lot of time on my campaign that were former uh, you know, campaign uh, party chairs here in Lexington that were that were for us for the campaign, and and it was our campaign. My name was on the ballot. My name was on the yard signs. But I treated it really as a as a group effort in a group campaign, and uh, I had ten or twelve core people on that team, and that made it all possible. Um, we all did everything that we needed to do, pulling in the same direction to get us to where we needed. We all had various aspects and historical knowledge of how campaigns worked. And if somebody was a specialist at field, we focused them on field. If somebody was a spoke, uh, you know, a specialist on raising money, we focused their efforts on, on raising money. And so if you can build good people around you and call in your favors and build a good team, it just makes it all that much easier. Uh, so we hit the ground running. I, I, I tell this story uh, quite often. It was kind of funny. I actually filed the day before the original filing deadline. And if you remember before they extended the filing deadline, the day before was that huge snowstorm. So I drove Mm -hmm. to Frankfurt. It took me two hours to get to Frankfurt because of the snowstorm. I get to the Capitol. The the governor Bashir had shut down everybody and sent them all home. So by the time I got to the Capitol, I didn't know if I could file or not. I went in, door was open, place was empty. It was like ghost town. I walked down to the secretary of state's office. They were actually open. They were the only office that was open and I was able to file no press, no, no, you know, pop and circumstance. I just filed my papers and, you know, got my copy and went home. Now it took me six hours to get home. The reason it took me six hours to get home was because the interstate coming back was shut down. I was safe. I was fine. I had a bottle of water and a granola bar and I could, you know, subside and make it on the interstate full tank of gas. So I was lucky in those regards. I sat there a uh, pity party for the first 10 minutes about how long it was going to take me to get home and, you know, see my kids and all that other stuff. And then I got over it and I started doing call time because I knew that, you know, money's not the only important thing to campaigns, but if you don't have money to get your message out, if you don't have money to do the other things you need to do, which are critical to campaigns, it's much more difficult to be successful. So, I'd started call time then and then it snowed some more and it iced and I was, you know, thank God for earbuds. I was outside shoveling snow and ice off my driveway and doing call time. So it's no uh, secret, you know, running for office is hard work, Um, but you got to put in that hard work and you put in the hard work because you think what you're doing is worth your time and effort. And I think, you know, anybody that's willing to run, for a legislative seat or city council or mayor or whatever office you're running for, you got to be able to put in the time and work and work hard yourself because it's worth your time and effort. And so I thought it was worth my time and effort. And so that's why we work so hard. My team works so hard. I work so hard to make sure we put together a comprehensive campaign that was able to your point, Robert was able to make us pretty successful on primary night. Man, when are you going to have six hours where you can't do anything else? (laughs) I probably would not have thought or felt like doing that. So that's (laughs) a man who worked for Steve Bashir right there. That's uh... yeah. (laughs) Steve Bashir and Jonathan Miller were two of the best call time politicians, machines uh, that I have ever observed in my life. They both did it different ways, but I learned. I was fortunate to learn from both of them. Watch them both. Uh, in the room with them and they were both excellent call time. Yeah. Uh, call time. Uh, 
So let's talk about uh, this past legislative session because, it, it, you know, it's still pretty fresh in our minds. It feels like we just finished up. A lot of really bad bills passed. A few good pieces of legislation snuck through. Um, so for you, what were some of the highlights or lowlights, if you want to share, of the 2022 session? Yeah, I, you know, listening to your podcast, and I told you guys, and I'll tell you the other listeners, I'm a pretty frequent listener, and I know we we like to focus on all the bad because there was plenty of bad to talk about. So I do want to say there were some slivers of good things that happened this time. You know, state employees got a very, very nice raise for the first time in a long time, and that's a very uh, well-deserved raise that many of our state employees have needed for quite some time. So I'm happy to see that get done. I also am happy to see the raise that got pushed through for the social workers, another area where, where it was really needed, really needed for a long time. And so I was glad to see that the legislature did that. And, um, you know, they deserve it. Those those social workers and those state employees are two areas that we're, we're hurting and we need good people who that's another area where we, that's 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 service. That's serving our public. And so we need good people in those positions. So I was glad to see that get done. Would have loved to see something similar to have gotten done for the teachers, um, yeah. you know, but I was, I was glad to see that get done for our state employees and social workers, you know, on, on the bad pieces of legislation, you can pretty much, it's like the old saying, which day is a good day or which day is a bad day. The ones in them, why, you know, the bad pieces of legislation are pretty much all of them that are single digit. House Bill 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. They were all, in my you know, uh, opinion, pretty bad pieces of legislation. You know, and, and, and here's where I think we can make a difference. You know, you talk about the charter school bill, which I think might long term be our worst piece of legislation. We have, you know, uh, opened the door for in, in the Commonwealth passed by one vote. So yeah. one person can make a difference. And if you flip a couple other seats or change a couple of minds, you can stop those pieces of legislation from, from passing. And so there are, there is hope. There is meaning for getting a couple of good people to serve in the legislature in Frankfurt. Cause you have very, very significant pieces of legislation like the charter school bill or the, the cut to the unemployment insurance, which I believe passed by three votes. Those were very, very close votes. And so a very small number of people, who can work together or flip or even go win a couple more seats can make a huge impact on the future for our state. Yeah, I definitely agree. So, you know, Democrats have kind of honed in on education, medical marijuana and sports gambling, and then also expansion of civil rights and some criminal justice reform bills as major elements of their agenda. Do you think that these are the right issues to focus on? Are there any others that you think should be, you know, primary issues in the Democratic platform? Yeah, I, I think the two issues right now that we ought to be focusing on as a party are calling out the Republican extreme agenda on two specific fronts. Number one, on uh, abortion legislation, if you look at the polling, 80 some odd percent of all of the electorate uh, are for the exclusions of rape and incest and health of the mother. I'm pro-choice, period. End of story. But even people who consider themselves pro-life, the vast, vast majority are for exclusions for rape, incest, and health of the mother. I think we as a party should focus on those exclusions and point out the extreme stance of Republicans uh, in our state. And I, I think that's important. Also, I think it's important with uh, the gun violence and everything that's going on right now with all the mass shootings, there there is no reason that anybody in the country needs a weapon of war for self-protection or to go hunt. I grew up on a farm. I've shot everything with a 12-gauge shotgun that you could shoot that moves in the woods. But you do not need an AR-15 or an AK-47 or any semi-automatic weapon without a background check and be able to walk into a school or to a mall or to a movie theater like we've seen over and over and over and over again. And it's insanity. It's the definition of insanity. And we need to point that out. I think most 
reasonable folks, and I think most of the population, even in Kentucky, would agree that the stance today for no red flag legs, no, you know, the no background, the loopholes with background checks, and these nobody needs a hundred round uh, drum for your gun. For I mean, I, so I think calling those positions extreme and focusing on the extremes of that position and hammering on that, I think those are two things we ought to add to the agenda. Yeah, that makes sense. For you specifically, you know, unlike a lot of other people we've talked to already, we we know that you're going to Frankfurt. So what are the issues that you see yourself personally championing when you get there? Besides the stuff we've already talked about this, uh, about one of the other areas that I'm, I'm pretty uh, passionate about is DUI laws and legislation. My, uh, my wife and uh, daughter were hit by a drunk driver in Louisville about uh, uh, 10 years ago. And uh, the, the, the fellow who, you know, caused the accident, um, pled guilty, was 19 and got a hardship waiver. And then three months later was right back out and driving. I just don't think that's right. I think, you know, Kentucky has done a little bit around the edges with their DUI legislation, but that's an area where I know I have an opportunity to help because of the personal impact to our family and our story, but also giving credit to where credit is due. Uh, Killian Timoney, who's a Republican state representative here in Lexington, reached out, called me, congratulated me on my campaign. And we've already talked about working together on that type of legislation because his sister was also hit by a drunk driver and lost uh, or was in a, a drunk driving accident and lost uh, use of 90% of, I think, her right arm. So there are uh, real key, real life situations like that where you can find common ground with with somebody across the aisle to work with them together. And I'm, I'm excited to work on uh, that legislation with him and other types of DUI uh, legislation uh, in Kentucky. And I think that's a bipartisan, non-controversial issue. Absolutely. Uh, it sounds like an a, a opportunity for some bipartisanship. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, if it wor- works the way it usually does, you know, hopefully um, we can we can find a way to moderate some of the punitive measures that uh, that Republicans want to take. Uh, so I, we had another question written down here about uh, your approach to legislating, but you actually answered that earlier about talking about building relationships across uh, both, of, uh, you know, with other people in, in Frankfurt. So I want to ask you something different. So as somebody who is from Western Kentucky originally. Uh, I spent a significant amount of time in Lexington. That's where you're being elected from. And, and you know, obviously has worked in Frankfurt for a long time and, and who is a good Democrat and has been for a really long time. You've seen kind of the path that's been traced over the past 20 years for the Democratic Party in Kentucky. I, I'm kind of interested in your perspective as, you know, the Democrats, uh, especially like on the national level, have kind of retreated into urban areas. Um, how, how do you see the future of the Democratic Party or the future of, uh, you know, elected Democrats um, how do, you, how do you see a path forward uh, for that where you can respect and, and marry some of the progressive uh, policy, you know, uh, you know places where, where urban folks uh, reside with, with you know, our, our rural neighbors who we need in order to, to wield some power uh, in Frankfurt? Well, first, we've got to put people on the ground. You know, I'm not exactly sure of the exact number, but I think it's close to 40 seats where Democrats didn't field somebody for a House seat. We, we can't win if we don't have somebody in the game. You know, we can't win if we don't have a player on the field. And, and you know, we're not going to win all 40 of those seats, but we can't win any of them if we don't have somebody running. So the first thing we've got to do better as a party is we've got to recruit more candidates. We just do. Now, I know it was difficult this cycle with the map being released late and the amendments and all that stuff. I get it. But that's that's a huge number. And so one of the things, Robert, that I'm hoping that I can do with my background and having worked for Governor Bashir and coming up from Western Kentucky is I actually know people in all 120 counties. I traveled to every single county on Governor Bashir's real act. I've got contacts in all those counties. And so sometimes you just have to call and ask, like, who would be a good candidate for this so-and-so seat or so-and-so race or, you know, who, how can we do this? And, and we have got to do that collectively as a party uh, to get more people. We've got to support those people once they get in the race and kind of teach them how to run effective campaigns. And I'm, I'm happy to help do that. Um, 
and model them after what I was able to do here in my, my recent primary, you know, but the first thing is we've just got to recruit more candidates. We can't, if we, if we win in Louisville and win in Lexington, that's great. That's a start, but it's not enough. You know, it's not enough for us to uh, build a coalition to make a difference and have a statewide impact, which is what we want to do. So over the next couple of years, we're going to have to recruit, be thinking about in those areas where we are competitive, where do we not recruit a candidate where we're competitive? And I, and I, and I know we have seats where we're competitive. Let's take Hardin County, for example. Now I'm not going to be in the state Senate, but I actually worked on Dennis Parrott's campaign when we got him elected back in 2010. It was like the first time in 20 years we had flipped a Republican Senate seat to a Democrat. Senator Parrott was a great legislator. He's retired. All my best to him, Lisa, and the kids. But we didn't even recruit a candidate in Hardin County for an incumbent Democratic seat that's not changing a whole lot. That's a competitive race. So those are the kind of races, those are the kind of seats and areas where we have got to do a better job collectively as a party, reaching out to party leadership, people we know, and getting people on the ballot. I feel like not a lot of people know someone in all 120 counties, so I hope that KDP is is talking to you. Who's, who's your <laughs> candidate? Who's, who's, your per, who's your contact in Robertson County? That's what I want to know. Well, that would be Karen Curtis. She was the PBA. <laughs> now, she's retired now. Now, Karen's in uh, Las Vegas, but her daughter's still over there. All right. And the former county judge is Billy Hammer Allison, so I'd have to call Hammer. Great nickname. It's a, yeah. I think that, the last I checked, population of Robertson County is like 1,200 people. So that's pretty yeah, impressive. They got one yeah. school, one school, and it's all in one building. Yeah. He's on a in high school. You, that, you was couldn't get him. that was one of Robin Webb's counties. Yeah. She ran for mm-hmm. state Senate and I ran Robin's campaign. Okay. You couldn't get him, Robert. <laughs> All right. Before we let you go, how can people get to know you, get involved with your campaign? Sure. Chatall.com is the easiest. That's my website. And all my socials is Chatall4, as in the, the number, and Chatall4, Kentucky. All right. Well, Chad All, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Jasmine. Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MyOldKYPod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our show on the podcast app of their choice. They can also subscribe to our newsletter at tinyletter.com slash MyOldKentuckyNewsletter and support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com slash MyOldKentuckyPodcast. And last but not least, we are part of the Demcast Network. Thank you, everybody, and we will see you next week.